0: That's investher, H-E-R, con.com, promo code 100, best ever to get $100 off your ticket. They
1: factor in you know, fairly aggressive assumptions in, in that regard. And sometimes like that leads you to pay too high of a price for a property.
0: flipping projects possible all across the country if you don't know about patch of land then they are the number one company to go to for uh, projects that you're flipping uh, because they have all the money available right now um, once you get approved for your your deal and yourself as a sponsor or a borrower. Um, You're going to be funded by them. And then they go raise the money through their crowdfunding platform. So you don't have to worry about all that. They'll take care of the the money and the funding for you. You just have to worry about making sure your project's a success. Uh, They've got something really cool for you so um, if you are just learning about crowdfunding uh, they've come up with a guide it's called the top 10 crowdfunding questions guide and they're all the, the questions that you might be asking yourself and they're all the answers they don't leave you hanging they got answers too. all the answers to those, those 10 crowdfunding questions so you can go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide uh, and if you think you know everything about crowdfunding, i check this guide out just in case because there are some interesting aspects that you'll learn. So go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and we've got part two of our four part series on crowdfunding and commercial real estate investing with Patch of Land. And we've got all sorts of of experts that we'll be speaking to on this four-part series. On the first part, which aired last Wednesday, which was, let's see, September the 9th, you heard from Doug Cochran, who talked about the different types of asset classes within commercial. And from a high to mid-level what we look for with commercial real estate whenever we're underwriting deals. And today, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty specifics. We're going to get into debt service coverage ratio. We're going to get into cap rates. We're going to get into all of the details that ultimately help us underwrite the deal effectively. And first, before we jump into the conversation, if you haven't had a chance to go to patchofland.com forward slash bestever. You've got to get the crowdfunding guide which answers all the questions to all of your crowdfunding questions but it also has a lot of other resources that uh, will be really valuable for you from uh, different guides on markets to many other documents that we've exclusively uh, curated for this uh, show and for this series. So go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever to get all of that free information. So with that being said, I'm pleased and honored to introduce today's guest. He has a tremendous amount of real estate experience, both in the development and then also in the uh, acquisition and underwriting. And we're going to let him talk a little bit more about his experience. So with that being said, uh, Mark Schloman with Patch of Land, how are you doing, my friend?
1: Very good, Joe. Good to be with you.
0: Yeah, nice to have you on the show and really excited to hear from kind of your experience and talk through the underwriting process with you. Uh, But before we do that, can you give the Best Ever listeners a little bit more about your background?
1: Sure. I've basically been in the commercial real estate field my entire career. I actually started off in public accounting with what was then called Ernst & Winnie in their real estate group and have, after that, worked for some of the larger real estate companies, a couple in Orange County, California, one being the Irvine Company. Then as I moved up to Los Angeles, I spent a significant amount of time with Westfield Corporation, which is the largest owner of shopping centers in the world, and then various other smaller real estate owner investors And before embarking on this endeavor with Patch of Land. And I've spent, you know, a good part of my career actually sourcing and negotiating loans from the borrower standpoint. So evaluating deals now from a lender standpoint is new for me, but it gives me an interesting perspective on what to look for.
0: Oh yeah. Yes. It's uh, great that's taking place, especially for us, because we're going to kind of soak up the knowledge that you have both from your experience and also what you're doing now from that different perspective. And, um, you know, the purpose of this episode in our conversation is to really get into the details of the underwriting process with commercial real estate. And I know there's a lot of different types of commercial real estate. So, Let's start broad, as broad as uh, we will in this episode, although it won't be as broad as we could as we did in the previous episode, but let's set the foundation. When we're talking commercial real estate and as we talk through the different underwriting, what are the different asset classes that come to mind for you?
1: Well, you know, first of all, commercial real estate is really anything that is owned for purposes of deriving an income stream. A return from and so as opposed to a user owner type of real estate you know most of what people can picture is a single family house that you live in is obviously not commercial real estate so commercial real estate does cover just a gambit of property types i mean you know off the you know office buildings hotels industrial slash manufacturing buildings, warehouses, there's you know mobile home parks, there's apartments, you know, all those are all would be storage is another one. All that would fall under the world of commercial real estate.
0: And when we are looking at the kind of the inspiration behind this series is that Patch of Land has evolved into the commercial space. So we want, to, we want to take a look at what that evolution looks like for the best of our listeners because they're, at least from what I've experienced, people who do single family at minimum are interested in getting into larger stuff. And some of them actually do get into the larger stuff. So it would be, it's interesting to hear as a company is doing it, their learnings. So And then having the, the team members such as yourself on, on the show and on the team to, to help us walk through that evolution. Whenever you look at a deal, and I know you're going to have to pick one of those in order to kind of clarify some things, but when you, when you look at a deal, what are some of the, the first things that you look for when you're doing the underwriting?
1: Obviously, the first thing that you look at is you know, what is the property type? So you can focus your analysis on that. The second is really what market is it in? You know, the axiom about the three most important things in real estate are location, location, location is really true. So you have to understand the market. You know, is it a large market? Is it a growing market? Is there a lot of competition? You know, what are the employment drivers? You know, those type of things. So that's really the first thing you want to look at. And then, you know, once you get an idea of the market, you know, the uh, the second thing I typically try to look at is, you know, who is the owner? You know, what is their experience with the product type? You know, what is their history? Those type of things. And so that's really at the higher level analysis. Because, you know, you can have a great product in the wrong market and um, it won't do well. You know, for example, you know, you have an office building that is gorgeous and made out of granite, but it's in the middle of a small town in the Midwest. You're not going to get the rent you need to earn an adequate return. So you have to make sure that the property is, you know, appropriate for the market.
0: When you do those first couple things, one, you identify the property type. Two, you qualify the market. Three, you look at who the owner is and their experience and the history. Now you've done that, and let's assume you've qualified it to where you want it, and you have all of their financials in front of you. What do you do next?
1: So, okay, once you have the financials, first you look and see, you know, how many years of financials do you have? Typically, I like to look at a three-year history, of the property, just so you can identify trends. And then you look for outliers in terms of information, were were revenues particularly higher or lower in a given year, or any of the expense items um, not consistent, are certain items missing? You know, let's say, you know, one year there doesn't show any property taxes, so What does that mean? Did they not pay the property taxes? Did they pay twice as many in the the prior year? They paid it right before year end. So you do an analysis of the income, the net income, and kind of get an idea as to what you think a consistent net income stream is. You look at occupancy trends. So some of the stuff is not going to be in the financial statements themselves, you're going to have to ask questions of the owner. You know, if it's an apartment building, you'd, you'd like to see, or you, actually any type of property, you know, can you give me what the average occupancy was by quarter, by month? You know, is it growing? Is it declining? You also want to get a rent roll and see who the tenants are. When are their leases expiring? Are the leases at market, or, you know, above market, below market. And so that goes back to looking at the market analysis. So if you have a building where, you know, in a strong market and the leases are below market and, you know, they're coming up for renewal, then you have an idea that rents are going to grow over time. And so that's, that's a positive. Even though the, the net income in a given year now may not be as strong as you like, you have a feeling that it's gonna grow over time. So, you know, you take the financial statements and look at them and evaluate them, but then again, you have to go back to the market and analyze that, you have to go back you know, to the leases, get an idea of where the property is trending.
0: With the financials, after you look at the three, ideally three years of financials to identify the trends, you've gotten your questions answered, from the seller or the seller's representative, and now you're ready to plug them into a spreadsheet. What do you initially do when you plug them into the spreadsheet? What do you look for? Are there any particular things or models that you run?
1: I try to do a 10-year discounted cash flow model, which basically looks out 10 years from the current year. And you make assumptions on those years based on your analysis of the market, their prior financial statements. If you have an appraisal done or a recent appraisal, that will also give you very good information on the market, competing properties, trends, etc. And so what the model does, and you know, I have several models, you know, depending on the property type, it gives you a, a cash flow, and then what you do is you take that cash flow and then you discount it back to the present. You're really doing a present value analysis. And at the end of the 10th year, you also come up with a hypothetical sales value. And then all that is discounted back to the present. And you come up with a value. And that gives you another valuation method, um, which I like to use because you can make more assumptions than some of the more static valuation methods that are used in appraisals. And so with the discounted cash flow model, you come up with a value and you say, okay, this is the value I come up with. And you kind of compare it to the ones that are used. If you have appraisals um, just to see if they're consistent, if they're not consistent, you try to find out why. And if they are consistent, then you kind of have an idea that, you know, based on a certain set of assumptions, you believe the property is worth X. And then, you know, with Patch of Land, then you go look at you know, how much are, are we loaning? What's the loan to value? That type of analysis. And then also, you want to look at what the deal structure is on the loan and whether the property has an appropriate debt service coverage ratio.
0: Okay. Well, I was going to ask a follow up question, but I, you know what, I will, and then we're going to come to the debt service coverage ratio. How can someone learn the discounted cash flow model?
1: Probably some references in on the web, and there's also a program that a lot of people use called Argus, which is a set program that will do discounted cash flow models for most property types. You know, somewhat expensive, and most you know larger real estate companies will own a copy of it. But it's really. If you know how to do present value analysis on a stream of cash flows, then you really know how to do it already. The tricky part is really coming up with a set of assumptions to put into the model. You know, you have to talk about rent growth, expense growth, rollover rates, that type of stuff, which really just comes with experience in in learning, you know, properties. Because for an example, let's take the office building example. It's a hundred thousand square foot office building and twenty thousand square feet of leases are expiring in year two. As part of your model, you need to make an assumption as to you know how long is it going to take to release that space and at what rate. So if you could say that twenty five percent of those tenants are gonna renew and for the remaining seventy five percent it's going to take six months to lease that space. So obviously in year two, all things being equal, your rental income will probably be lower than it was in year one because your leases are rolling over. But then in year three, when that space is released now at, say, a higher rate, you'll have a higher level of income. So there's a whole slew of assumptions that need to be made to generate a net operating income for a particular year.
0: And you mentioned the, the uh, debt service coverage ratio, uh, abbreviated DSCR. What is that and why is it relevant?
1: Okay, the DSCR is basically you take your net operating income for a particular year. Usually the debt service coverage ratio looks at the prior 12 months net income. And then you divide that by your debt service, which is basically your principal and interest payments for the next 12 months. And um, you come up with a ratio. So from a lending standpoint, you want to have more net operating income, which is a proxy for cash flow. It's not always the same because it doesn't include items that are capitalized on the balance sheet or accruals, but it's a proxy for net cash flow. So you want to have more than More cash flow generated than your debt service for the next 12 months. Typically, as a a lender wants somewhere between 1.2 to 1.3, which means there's $130 of net operating income for every $100 of debt service. And so that cushion is what gives the lender comfort that if something goes amiss, that they'll still get their debt service paid.
0: Does... The cap rate factor into the analysis of all different property types?
1: Well, interestingly, the cap rate is almost a derivation of the valuation. So, a cap rate is calculated by um, taking a stabilized net operating income and dividing it by the purchase price or the valuation. So If a property is generating $100,000 of net operating income and you bought the property or it's valued at a million dollars, that property is said to have a 10% cap rate. So the cap rate is typically the result of determining the NOI and and the purchase price. And so one thing about cap rates are a low cap rate doesn't necessarily mean that the property is More risky because you're paying a higher price per generate, you know, per unit of net operating income or a high cap rate doesn't necessarily mean you're getting a good deal. There's a lot of factors that go into cap rates, you know, including property type, the market, the general level of interest rates, which is, is very important in cap rates, you know, competition, that type of stuff. So. When people look at properties and they'll say if you bought a property you know what what was your going in cap rate which is basically you know what's the initial net operating income divided by the purchase price.
0: And can you give an example of how a high cap rate doesn't mean it's a good deal?
1: Well, let's say I am purchasing an office building in a tertiary market which is really like a third tier market. So let's say it's in Washington state in kind of, you know, outside of, you know, hundred miles outside of Seattle and the building is half occupied. And so it's, let's just say it's generating a hundred thousand dollars of net income, but that I brought, I bought it for $500,000. And so I bought it at a 20% cap rate, which is an extraordinarily high rate, but you know, the building could have, Issues, structural issues, or other problems, or that the market that the building is in is rapidly declining. And so, in the next year, you know, half of those tenants move out and you can't release the building because of the market. And so, all of a sudden, your net operating income just got cut in half. So, Even at the same cap rate, if someone wanted to buy a building at the same cap rate, you've just lost half your investment.
0: When you're looking at different types of deals, and I know uh, you you might have to do like an example for each, or maybe you can generalize it. I'm not sure, but I'll just ask the question and let you navigate the answer. Uh, When you're looking at different types of commercial deals, what are some red flags that you would find with particular commercial deals?
1: Well, again, one is a evaluation of the market and really finding out where where the market is. So a market where that's experiencing a significant increase in vacancy, overall vacancy, you know, so the market, you know, in one year, the general vacancy was 10%. The next year it's 15. The next year it's 20. That's a red flag. You know, what's going on with the market, you know? Why do we think that this property is going to do better than the market? So that that's always a huge red flag. Another red flag I have is if there's an appraisal done, evaluating the appraisal versus what the owner is representing what the value is. Because if there's a significant difference, that could be a you know a red flag. Also, one another red flag I look at is are the property taxes current? a lot of times you you know and that's very easy to find because you can usually look that up on uh the county assessor's website cuz not paying the property taxes are an indication that you know something's going on with the property or the owner also you know look on looking on the websites for a property and ta- looking to see if there's a you know a large number of complaints that's also something i you know is a red flag and then the experience and integrity of the sponsor is another one, so you have to do a background check on this. the sponsor is another name for the owner, um, just to make sure there aren't any issues there. So those are some of the the first red flags. And then you know, as you get in deeper, you look at the financial statements, and you know, are items missing, are there inconsistencies, that type of stuff.
0: Let's talk about multifamily. When you're looking at a multifamily deal. What are some of the quantifiable goals or metrics that you look for, like a particular debt service coverage ratio or a cash on cash return, or I don't know, like upside and in, in like particular upside or growth, rental growth? Are there? Do you have any certain qualifiers that you use?
1: Well, again, the debt service coverage ratio is typically, you know, in the one two one three. Again, I want to, the qualifiers I want to look at are, you know, is the property, you know, on an upswing or a downswing? I like to see, you know, cash on cash return, which is really what you look at is really just the, if you had bought the property for all cash, which is really the the cap rate, and then the NOI divided by that number. That again, varies. sometimes that really varies on by the owner. The cash on cash return is typically a owner metric and not a lender metric. So as a lender, I'm going to look at debt service coverage ratio, and then I'm going to look at uh, valuation. And then more importantly also is, you know, what's the exit plan? Because for a patch of land, most of the loans are fairly short term. They're usually bridge type loans. And so the owner will need to exit out of the patch of land loan with typically a conventional loan. So if it's a short term loan, say eighteen months or two years, you know, what's the owner's plan in two years to get new financing? So is it they're going to put improvements into the property, rehab it, increase the NOI, that type of that type of uh questions.
0: Do they need to have multiple exit plans or just one very good one?
1: You know, typically more is better, but a lot of times there really is you know there usually is only uh, one so again the answer would be it depends. A credible plan is better than multiple pie in the sky plans.
0: Now that we've kind of talked about all the different or well not I don't know about all, but a lot of the, the terminology and um, you know what, what you look for and how you approach underwriting, what should somebody who is looking to invest in deals like crowd commercial deals, What should they look for? Should they look for the same type of stuff that you just mentioned? Basically, the exit plan, the the debt service coverage ratio, cash or the uh, property upswing or downswing based on the market, the valuation, or should they look at something different?
1: No, I think an investor that's investing in loans on a property is really looking at it from a lender standpoint. So I think that the uh, biggest two matrices are are really the loan to value which is how much is being loaned relative to the value of the property and from a lender standpoint uh, a lower percentage is better because if something happened or the lender had to you know take back the property there's a cushion such that if the lender has to sell the property they'll be able to get the money back For example, if the loan, the value is 65% and the lender had to take back the property, you know, the value of the property would have to go down by more than 35% before the lender, you know, didn't get his cash back on the loan. So that's a key metric. The other one is the debt service coverage ratio, which the higher number is better because again, how much cash is the property generating relative to the amount of debt service that is need to be paid so the more cushion there the better and then you know the exit plan is always important but that will have you know that will have been vetted as part of the due diligence process
0: what would you say would be common mistakes either you made early on or you've seen people make whenever they're underwriting commercial deals
1: i think the the biggest mistake is probably um you know, over aggressive rent growth type of assumptions. So if I'm, you know, if the market is, you know, we're having a certain amount of, uh, rent, say in an office building again, and I'll just say it, it's $12 a foot, which is a dollar a month, valuing a property based on a growth rate that is not achievable or, you know, sustainable. Just because maybe in the prior year the market was, was hot doesn't mean it's going to be hot for a number of years, and then maybe being overly aggressive on you know the occupancy that you think a building is going to have, you know, forecasting a building to be ninety eight percent occupied over a ten year period is probably too aggressive. So those are you know things that you look at as a developer, and I come from the owner side. You know developers are typically a very entrepreneurial and optimistic guys, and they think they can always do better than the other guy. So they factor in, you know, fairly aggressive assumptions in in that regard. And sometimes that leads you to pay too high of a price for a property.
0: Is there anything about the underwriting process? I know we we could spend maybe literally days uh, talking. Um, but eventually, we'd have to go to sleep and eat some food and and, and all those other things. Um, but from from the purpose for the purposes of this conversation, is there anything that we haven't talked about uh, that you think we should talk about uh, when in regards to underwriting?
1: No, I think we've actually covered quite a bit, at least for a first pass. I mean, it's really one has to just you know learn about. Each property type, because each property type has its own nuances. Another thing that I didn't mention, but is always extremely important in underwriting, is obtaining something called a uh, property condition report, which is a third party report that gives you really detailed analysis on the condition of the property, because you don't want to buy or loan on a property that, you know, has deferred maintenance that could cause some significant capital uh, costs in the future. Say, some things are not that readily apparent in terms of maybe a pipe issue. Maybe the roof will need to get replaced within the next year or two. And so you have to make sure that that's accounted for in your analysis.
0: And is that done after you have it under contract?
1: Typically that occurs if you're purchasing a property you re- you require it typically of the current owner. you usually have it under contract and that will be one of the due diligence requirements. If you're a lender and you'll it'll be a closing requirement that a property condition report get done.
0: Well, Mark, this has been a wonderfully informative and detailed conversation about commercial real estate and underwriting. Thank you so much for being on the show. I was taking a lot of notes as I usually do, actually always do. And uh, this was just really informative. I I love how you took us through the underwriting process from, you know, of, of course we don't have time to go through all the details, but very beneficial that you took us through these steps and they are first you identify what the property type is because every type has its own nuances, like you mentioned What is the market that is in? It's all about location, location, location. Understand the market. Is it large? Is it growing? Is there a lot of competition? What are the employment drivers? Who is the owner? What's their experience? What's their history? And as you said, you can have a great product in the wrong market and it won't do well. Then looking at how many years of financials do you have? Ideally, you have three. And then you get to work with your magnifying glass and start identifying trends, looking for outliers. Some of them could be expense items, not consistent, missing items, where revenues higher or lower during a given year, looking at occupancy trends, get a rent roll if it's multifamily or perhaps other, other properties that have rent rolls and see when those leases are up, what's the average occupancy by quarter by month and then you do a a 10-year discounted cash flow model. If you don't know how to do it, then there's plenty of online resources for you to check out. You look at the 10 years and and take the cash flow and discount it back to the present, and then you come up with the value. The tricky part is the assumptions that you have to use along the way, and that's where you mentioned comes with experience. And I imagine if you don't have the experience for anyone looking to do it on their own, then just surround yourself with team members who are who know the market and have that experience and can help you run those models. But then also don't have a vested interest in you closing or not because you'll wanna you'll wanna have an unbiased analysis for you to look at. And then talking about the debt service coverage ratio, the lenders look for one point two to one point three, and essentially if it's one point three, then it's one hundred and thirty dollars of NOI for every hundred dollars of paid to debt service, which shows some cushion. Talking about cap rates and uh, red flags that you look for on deals. One of them being if there's an appraisal done versus what the representers, re- what the owners representing. If there's some discrepancies there, a large number of complaints on a website, the sponsor or owner of the property, and then ultimately how you qualify deals with a debt service coverage ratio of at least one point two. Property on the upswing, and then the valuation overall of what it's worth and then looking at the exit plan. So this has been a a, a great conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show and Best Ever listeners. If you haven't already, go check out patchofland.com forward slash best ever and you'll receive many goodies that are free on the site from market analysis reports to the top 10 questions, uh, the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. So go check that out. Mark, thanks so much. Is there anything you want to mention before we sign off?
1: I uh, know. I think uh, we've covered. I just I uh, really enjoyed being on with you.
0: All right. Thanks a lot, Mark. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. Crowdfunding. You've heard about it. Now it's time for you to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor today, Patch of Land, they're the leading expert in the crowdfunding space, and they've got all the answers to all of your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D.com forward slash best ever.